Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 movie, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And today we're talking about Minute 74, which begins with Jane saying she's glad that Thor is safe and ends with Thor trying to reassure her. Joining us on the show today, we have Bubba Wheat from Flight Tights and Movie Nights. Uh, Bubba, happy Thor's Day. Every Thursday, we like to celebrate Thor by asking our guest, what is your favorite Thor moment? This could be from uh, this this movie, any movie, comic books, uh, Avengers Assemble TV show, one of the animated movies. What what for you is just your favorite Thor moment? My my favorite moment is definitely from Thor The Dark World, which that that's a movie that's I, I think I like more than a lot of people do, just because it it goes more into like the sword and sorcery as kind of thing, and, and that's really my style. But my actual favorite moment within that movie is when they do what I I know has to be a Rocky Horror Picture Show homage. Whenever they they get to the end and they all meet up again, and it's the Thor, Jane, Darcy, meow meow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I I am definitely among those who have, uh, for whom the magic of that movie has escaped. Uh, so, but that does give me one thing to look forward to whenever I do uh, rewatch it. Uh, and we'll get more into all of our thoughts about this Thor movie in just a moment. Hey, it's the holidays. Do you have Marvel lovers in your life who you know would enjoy wearing some Marvel Movie Minute-inspired clothing? Or maybe a mug? Who knows? Pillows? There's all sorts of stuff that you can get. If you're doing your holiday shopping and you're looking for something Marvel Movie Minute-related, just head to our online store, truestory.fm slash Minute. Click on Merch. It'll take you right there. Welcome back. Well, I, I have to tell you, folks, my original idea for how to uh, talk about this minute was because this to me is just the rom com minute of the entire movie. And so I was just going to go through the different rom-com tropes we get, uh, knowing that not everyone shares my love for that, perhaps also in audience land. I'll pull back on that a little bit, uh, but I will be kind of dropping some of the tropes they hit in this in this minute because there's so many of them. Uh, but, and let's just start with like the, the opening scenes because, we again, we get this just like – now, I think even more so, we're getting their faces beautifully lit by firelight. We're getting this wonderful music and and her saying she's glad he's safe, you know, because I think this is this is her first time kind of admitting, like, kind of worry about him. You know, she's she's hit him. She's she's been interested in him, uh, both for, you know, his physics knowledge and maybe a little bit how he looks with the shirt off, uh, though she hasn't said that. I think this is a real step for her because this is her kind of, you know, acknowledging some of her own vulnerability. I also feel like that her wording specifically introduces a little bit of irony because I think it would be more common for her to say, I'm really glad you're okay. But she specifically mm. says, I'm really glad that you're safe. And I think that the use of the word safe is important because at this point in, in the film, Thor is actually the opposite of safe because Loki is actively working against his brother. And uh, and I think that's a a great bit of s very subtle irony in in her wording. Yeah, 
And it's interesting because I, I have a therapeutic background, and in therapy, often you the distinction between those two words is very important because often saying to someone like you're okay, I mean, that can imply like you're kind of trying to minimize like all the stuff they're going through, whereas saying you're safe is like, I know you're going through all this really hard stuff, but I'm at least glad you're okay. You you're know, you're, safe I've just said it, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, you're in a safe space. Uh, and so that's, I hadn't noticed it till you pointed it out. Then my mind went there, but then you were like, oh, oh actually, no, you're right. There's an irony. Like there's, there's a lot going on here that he's very much not safe. Yeah, and I, I think some of that speaks to the fact, at least from Jane's perspective, the last time she heard Thor, I mean, they had been outside the S.H.I.E.L.D. crater base together, and he ran inside, you know, acting like he was going to fly out, like he's all cocky and, and silly, right? It's like, you're going to fly out? What on earth are you talking about? And she's watching him take out guards and stuff, and then he disappears into the hamster cage. And then the last she hears is this horrific scream of agony to the heavens when he fails to lift Mjolnir. She can't see him. She just hears this soul-crushing scream, and that's it. And then she flees because uh, the, the, the agents are, are combing the area. And, um, and she has Eric come and try to get him out later. And so, yeah, I, I mean, as far as she knew, I mean, he could have been in dire straits. He could have been hurt. He could have been injured. Um, he could have been shot. I mean, she just really had no idea. And so there's there's this element like, you know, he, yeah, I mean, it's you were not in a good place last time. And I'm glad that you are OK or safe as the, as the word it may be. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it also gets the irony, though, because she's concerned about S.H.I.E.L.D. She yes, thinks S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. is a big threat to Thor. And I think kind of what, what your point at Bubbleweed is, it, you know, he is mortal in this moment. So, yes, they can screw him up, but that's not the real threat to him. Not with a destroyer coming in about 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Um, and then we get this other beautiful moment. Uh, sorry here. I got it pointed out. It's another great trope where they both apologize to each other, but he kind of takes it one step further. And he he now acknowledges that he hasn't really been be meeting her on her level. You know, it's this great line of, you've been very kind to me, and I've been far less grateful than you deserve. And, and I just love that, because again, it's his, this very stylized English, but it's still just such a human, uh, you know, understandable thing that he's saying. Yeah, and I feel like this is a very important part in his hero's journey. And we get to see him uh, see the value of kindness and gratitude. Mm -hmm. And whenever she mentions hitting him with a, with her car, he also says, perhaps I deserved it. And that also shows yeah. that he's not just, you know, showing this kindness and gratitude, but he's also taking responsibility for his actions. He's understanding that the things that he has done were wrong, and that's what has led him here. And this is him accepting his punishment in in a certain way and and just recognizing that he was that the way he was acting before is not the way that a hero should act. I think that's such a good way to put it, especially because he's you know, she's acknowledging some responsibility and he's kind of deflecting that. Like, you know, because she's saying, I, I hit you with my car. I'm kind of sorry for that. And and I don't think he thinks he actually deserved it, but he's he's being very gracious and sort of like completely letting her off the hook, putting himself back on. But he's also doing it in this way. And again, this is very much the himbo thing. There is not a moment where it feels like he's trying to make her feel sorry for him. You know, he's not trying to get her to say, oh, no, 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 Thor, you're fine. Like, he's just doing it in this very even-handed, very confident way where he's not asking her to be emotionally responsible for his feelings. He's just saying, hey, I, I want you to know that I, I know I haven't been treating you the way. And, and yeah, maybe even a, a hit by a car. Yeah, I, 
that's okay. <laughs> it speaks to like that the genuine way that they wrote Thor and and keep him like present and always actively listening, and he just plays it so true. The way that Hemsworth is performing, it just it comes across incredibly well. And and to your point, it, I mean, you you end up really feeling that he actually believes all of this and. And to your point, Baba, like this is that hero's journey that he's on, and and he is starting. We were arguing, or we were talking a little bit last time about how uh, is he? You know, ha- has he started learning on this hero's journey? Like when he was with Eric in the bar, but but here I'm like, I feel like there's definitely this sense of kind of an inner observance. He's 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 looking within, trying to figure some stuff out, and I think that that's really nice here. Yeah, I think that's very true. And, and the observance actually kicks into the next thing I wanted to point out. And, and again, sorry, it's one more of these tropes, but it's, it, we're hitting all of them here. The journal. Because one thing you'll see in rom-coms all the time is the character who the woman is interested in, and he doesn't seem to notice her, yet there was something she mentioned, like that one gift she could never find and he found it, or that one song she loves and he's playing it now. Like a way that he shows that actually he's been paying much more attention to her than than we ever got a sense of or that she ever got a sense of. And, and to me, that we talked about it before when he did it, but the fact that... Ten minutes after this emotionally devastating moment with the act with the hammer, he still can pick up her journal and give it to her. Like to me, it's just such a sign of just how much attention he's paying to her, and that even in that moment, he's like, "Oh, the journal. Let me get this for her." It's a great little moment. And, and again, to your point, it speaks to this uh, all the different tropes of the rom com. Right there, they kind of hit that end of the apologizing to each other, and there's that moment by the fire, and it's like he's. His brain is spinning. What do I do next? What do I do next? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got this thing in my coat for her. I've got to give it to her. And it it plays well. I mean, it it, it really speaks to his, you know, the, that he's thinking about her and has been thinking about her through all of this. But also it just speaks to that kind of like they're still fumbling uh, new lovers. <laughs> you know, they're still trying to figure <laughs> yeah. this out. And, and there's one little detail, uh, again, that I noticed in this that, that I really appreciated. And that's the fact that the pen that we see attached to the journal is one of those classic, you know, I, I think <laughs> I, you know, I get the feeling that we're all of a similar age that you had this pen in I'd say middle school. And it's that four color pen, you know, you, you got the, the blue, the, the black, the red, and the green uh, right. on the four different sides. And and I, I get the feeling that, you know, in terms of their operation, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a, is a pen that Jane had in middle school and she still had it and she's still using it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think it's that either she had it in middle school and still uses it or – She's the sort of person who will actually take her notes in four different colors as she goes along, you know, because I, I I had those pens all the time, mostly for me. After a year, they just became a green pen because that was the one I didn't use at all <laughs> until everyone else was used up. But yeah, it's just one more just like some some person on the set thought of that detail. You know, that wasn't just the pen they had lying around. And I just I love all these little things we get about her. It's such a great moment. And I mean, the way they look at each other here, I mean, just just the looks themselves are such fantastic rom-com looks, right? With that beautiful mm-hmm. glow of the firelight here. They just, they, you know, I mean, when, when he looks at her, it's just these stares, these deep stares. And when she looks at him, same thing. 
And I mean, it's just, you really feel it here. And I, I love the way that they, they build this. I, I find myself very easily buying into the romance just as, with a mm-hmm. scene like this. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a hundred percent sold. Yeah, I think so much of that is it's in the back and forth between the two of them. You know, they both laugh so easily at each other's comments. There's so many of these comments that, like, they could be, you know, yeah, you hit me with a car. That was kind of terrible. Or, you know, like, or, yeah, you were ignoring me. Like, everything they say, it's not that it's jokes, but it's just they're they're developing such an ease and a comfort with each other. You know, I, 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 I get the feeling that either one of them could say, like, oh, yeah, it feels like I've known you forever, even though I've just known you, you know, a week or whatever it is. <laughs> That's the only rom-com trope that we're missing from this, right? <laughs> just like that, mm-hmm. that I, I feel like I've always known you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Don't worry. I've got one more still to go. But <laughs> oh, I want to make sure we talk about other stuff in, the, in, the, in a minute as well. Well, I, well, just speaking to the music, since we're talking about all these romantic things, I mean, the way that Patrick Doyle evolves the Thor theme that we've heard that is so beautiful is that 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 five note phrase the da, 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 that we hear all through like the way that he's evolved that to be this really romantic soft uh thing here i mean it's just beautiful I, I love the way that he's kind of found ways to not make us tire of the music but has found ways to kind of incorporate it in these other um these other um feelings throughout the film yeah i think that's a very good point like it's funny because you say that and I couldn't tell you what the Thor theme is right now. Like I couldn't hum it to you because um, it, it's not the kind that like really gets in your head. But it is like but I know what you're talking about. And I definitely like when I was hearing it when watching the scene, I was definitely having an understanding of like this is Thor's music in a way we haven't heard it before. Yeah. You know, and because I think that's true because when we were talking earlier and I think a lot of folks, they when they watch this movie, they get the sense the biggest thing Thor seemed to be missing was empathy. He had no empathy for everyone from Odin to Loki to the people who have to clean up the table when he throws it over, you know? And here, this moment is just all about empathy. Um, It's all about him being present with her, you know, and and wanting to connect with her on that level. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that that, that will take me to the last trope that that I noticed here, which is, and again, like, think about from the other side, the trope, how often is one thing you hear, like, as a complaint of, like, bad male characters or just, you know, people, uh, you know, talking about, like, partners in their own lives. Like, he never listens to me, and especially, like, he doesn't listen to me about my career. You know, it's always got to be about him. He notices that she's upset. Like, she, he kind of wants her to talk about it. And she, and what she's upset about is her career. And it's her talking, it's not her talking about the two of them. And he wants to hear more about that. And again, that's, like, you watch a Hallmark movie, nine out of 10 of them are going to have this exact scene where he, she's struggling with something that has nothing to do with him and he wants to know about it. And I just think it, it's, it's a trope, but it's a very good trope. Cause again, it, it, it's playing against so much of the way we see men often act towards women in, in movies and in real life. And it's just this, it's just this wonderful moment of him showing that he's not just interested in her because she's pretty and she likes him. He's interested in the parts of her that have nothing to do with him. And that's why these things are tropes, right? It's it's because yeah. it 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 is that moment that uh, you know all the all the people who are watching this they want to have the the person in their life do that same thing, 
And so it's, it's, you know, more powerful when they put it into a film like this and you see that Thor is that guy. And it makes you as the audience member fall in love with him because he's doing the things that you want those in your life to do for you. And it, it just, it, it really makes that work. And I, I think it's very, it is very sweet. It is very sweet. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I think there are things about shield we'll talk about here in a sec, but in, in context of the, the rom-com nature of it, I think you're right. It, it plays right into those tropes and does them well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I, I promise, but we, we're now done with the rom comness <laughs> of it. Let's get into the. Uh, um, uh, let's get into the. Uh, what you're you're just mentioning, Andy, because what she says is very significant. Like she is concerned about Shield. Uh, she says, whatever they are, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure this research never sees the light of day. What what's going on with that? With her fear about this? You know, I, I initially, whenever I was watching this, I. I was against the the fact that they're using Shield as this like an MIB Men in Black style secondary antagonist. Um, but looking back at it again and thinking more big picture, it, it actually I, I think it does work, and it it gives this hint that they pay off several movies down the line, and uh, I. You know, I I don't know for sure if they they had that storyline in mind whenever they did this or not. But the fact that at this point, Shield is filled with Hydra plants and and they're working towards their you know quote unquote evil agenda, which mm-hmm. that fits in with the authoritarian tactics that they're using in this moment. I had a similar kind of feeling. Like at first, I was like, wait, wait, but this is not what Shield is. And and then realize like no, but this is how people see Shield. And I, I think you're. I, I I would love to know that they were planning on setting up Hydra all this way back, especially when, when they introduced um um. So well. So well. Thank you. But even if you don't go that far, to me, I think it 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 is such a good way to set up Coulson for where he, he where he gets to in Avengers because. It's his naivete, you know. He honestly believes that we're the good guys. Why Why do people not like S.H.I.E.L.D.? Why do people not trust S.H.I.E.L.D.? We are here to help. And yet to everybody else, they're this, you know, big government, men in black, men in dark suits kind of thing. And I just, I, I keep going back to to Coulson saying to them, like, we're the good guy. We're, we're here to help you as they're taking the journal away from her. <laughs> Literally ripping it out of her hand, right? Exactly, you know, uh, and it, it's just such a perfect dichotomy of, of those two, and I think it really sets up, like, yeah, to 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 the people who don't know, Shield would be terrifying. Yeah, is it an odd assumption for her to assume that the research will never see the light of day, or would it make more sense to say, uh, you know, my research, they're stealing my research, and they're going to use it to their advantage, uh, not not mine. Or, or would the idea be that Shield, or at least from her perspective, Shield is going to take her research, use it to their advantage, but still, it'll it'll all be kept behind closed doors, and uh, so it won't ever see the light of day. But they'll be using it. Is that is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I I, I feel like she, you know, she is the prototypical altruistic scientist. She is doing this for the good of humanity. And everything that she does, she isn't doing it to further her personal agenda, her career, make herself money. She is doing this because it needs, because it exists. It's there. And there are things there that can benefit humanity. And I also know that 
in earlier versions of the script and the story, none of these made it, I think, even really onto the page, let alone into uh, a shot for the film itself. There was going to be more about Selvig's connection with uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. and the part of it was involving them kind of not wanting some research to to get published and, and things like that. And, you know, we have this mis- – we never hear anything about really what happened to her father. And I, I believe there's some comics runs where there is something about her father or Selvig tied into something that happened with S.H.I.E.L.D. way back. So I, I wonder if to some extent this line is a vestige of when they thought that there was going to be something established of like S.H.I.E.L.D. covering up research of something from – either Selvig's past or her father's past or something like that. Um, but but even without that, I think all – to me, it's kind of the – I think you're right. She, they're thinking that, like, they're going to use it for themselves, but also, like, think of every 80s movie with, you know, kids on bikes discovering government secrets. Like, the government wants to keep all the secrets for itself. That's just what the – that's what we believe because that's what, you know, we. It, that's another trope that we see again and again. So Jane, you know, falling into that makes – Everything that they've done is we are mysterious government organization, and that's that's where the trope leads. I never really thought about that with uh, Jane's father, but that's an interesting perspective. I, I don't know of anything that they had been uh, planning on with him. I, I, I'm not sure if he did make it into the comics, but that does really pique my curiosity now. Like, was there an element where her father had 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 dealings with uh, with Shield? I know when. Eric, I, I think just in the in the script when he's talking about like his involvement with Shield, he was going to call, um, or well, one he he talks about Banner having disappeared after encountering them, and then he was going to call um, Hank Pym, or that's theoretically who he sends that email to. It, it's never said in the film, but he, it's in the script that he was going to reach out to Pym, who had dealt with shield and um not jane's father but it does make me curious um yeah what is the backstory with jane's father and did he was he involved somehow and and got in trouble that's an interesting question yeah Yeah. a lot to not know maybe love and thunder will dive into her father who knows maybe right i i think they've got enough that they're covering already that probably not Uh, but probably yeah (laughs) they have a lot to cover so is there any last things that either one of you wanted to bring up about this uh, uh, about this minute? Now that covers mine. Yeah, very, very romantic minute uh, by the fire on the roof of Smith Motors. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Well, and, and thank you for indulging my um, rom-com loving heart in this minute. We will get oh, back absolutely. into a lot of other questions of cosmology in our next minute. But uh, Bubba Wheat, for, we've heard about the reviews you do, uh, the podcasts on a couple of couple places you are. Is there any part of the stuff that you're creating out there or stuff that people will find on your website, Flights, Tights, and uh, Movie Nights that we haven't got to d- dive into? Yeah, I, I do actually have a secondary podcast. Uh, it's one that I've been working on for quite a while. I've, it's had a couple hiatuses, but I've been trying to bring it back. Uh, it's called FilmWise, and, and that's W-H-Y-S. And I, I refer to it as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. And it, I started out uh, fairly early in, in the uh, website's uh, history as an excuse for me to branch out into non-superhero movies. So in, in each episode of that, I bring a guest that introduces me to one of their favorite movies like that's that's considered a classic. It, it's it's one of those movies like how have you not how have you gotten to where you are now and not seen this film and. Um, and then in return, 
they agree to watch a superhero comic book film that they've never seen before. Oh, that's awesome. And so it, it, it that. keeps that connection to my site. Like, you know, the, the first episode was Jaws and Superman 2, the Donner Cut. And uh, I just recently brought it back. I'm, I'm now trying to do it um, as a monthly podcast. Like uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the two most recent new episodes, I did one where I watched The Mist for the first time and I introduced my guest to Spawn. So it's not always, you know, an even trade off <laughs> because, you know, a lot of the superhero movies, especially, you know, if you go back more than five years, there's, there's a lot of mediocrity and a lot of bad movies in there. And, um, and, and, you know, it, I think the other one, the other most recent one was The Living Daylights, uh, the Timothy Dalton Bond film, and uh, From Hell, the the Alan Moore wow. adaptation. Oh, nice. Wh- which one is the superhero for that well, one? Well, it, it, it's the comic. From Hell is based on a comic book, so it's a comic yeah. book. Oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, because both of them are kind of there's something there. Well, and, and I, I do. I, it sounds fascinating. Uh, I definitely want to check that out. I also love the way that you're stretching that superhero definition on my own podcast, Superhero Ethics. We basically cover the ethical questions from superhero media we love. But every now and then, we've had to say something like, um, "Martial arts is a superhero, right? <laughs> cool. We're talking about Cobra Kai. <laughs> Chess is a superpower, right? Cool. We're talking about Queen's Gambit. So you know." Superpower is kind of a pretty broad definition. I'm, I'm all for it. Well, <laughs> definitely check that out to our listeners. Uh, check out all the other great things that are happening on the Next Real Family podcast. Uh, for my own podcast, you can go to theethicalpanda.com or find uh, all the whole podcast family I'm connected with at strandedpanda.com. Uh, check, please check out all that kind of stuff. Please check out all the great things that we're doing. And most importantly, have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Mm-hmm.